you you end up having like is your level of demand higher than a normal in-house person or is it different in some way you so know, i mean we'll... like i'm uh, i don't only do the recruitment right and and uh, and uh, and i think we'll, we'll we might explain a little bit more like uh, the 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 you know my part and everything but uh, is the demand higher uh, only on the recruitment side um in in a way probably yes because uh, uh if you've just invested and then you have the portfolio companies normally the moment they get cash they hire more uh, um those things are, are very much correlated right so depending if they have somebody in house uh, uh, that can help and support on this or if they completely rely on you uh, and i don't think that would be healthy to be honest um but uh, uh and there's um there's uh, probably a, a more of a need for quality uh, in, in terms of the performance uh, um, because you will be very quickly judged on the, uh, on wrong hire more than I think if you were in-house. Yeah, I think so. You're expected, yeah. to, you're expected to be even better than the in-house one. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's actually a very interesting dynamic. So your relationship with existing in-house resources within the portfolio business, yeah. uh, you can't be the junior partner there, right? Um, uh, it's not possible for you to do that because mm -hmm. you're coming from the investor side. Exactly. Very, very interesting. Anyway, welcome everybody. Welcome to Brain Food Live on Air, bringing it to you every Friday and no fail. Um, and today we're going to do a show which I've been very excited to do. I don't think we've ever done it, uh, but I've been keen to do this ever since the emergence of this particular role um, a couple of years ago. It seemed to be uh, only a couple of years ago where we started to see recruiters being hired by venture capitalist firms to be like kind of a recruiter in residence um, and then working across the portfolio to support those companies that they've invested in. Um, and I think there's a basically a micro community of uh, recruiters that operate in this space that I don't think, you know, we don't know anything about, um, but also I don't think they talk to each other too much. So it'd be very interesting uh, to bring a few of those guys together and have a chat. Uh, one of those guys has actually been enrolled into becoming the co-pilot of the show. It's Nico Blia Silvestri. <laughs> Nico, good to see you, man. Um, obviously, you're enjoying life. I can see the uh, blue skies and the uh, the pink flowers. All the color schemes suits you very well. Um, and uh, and yeah, nice to see you. Nice to have you on the show, bro. Thanks for having me. Uh, can you please mute yourself? We can hear the wind. Uh, I can, but then I cannot talk. So I think it's kind of like a, a <laughs> counterproductive. And stopping the wind in Copenhagen is just like not going to happen. But if it's really shit, please write it in, and I'll just go inside. I just wanted to enjoy a little bit of sun and, and have my uh, beautiful bald head, you know, tan. I need this. This is important for me. But uh, uh, thanks for having me. Uh, uh, always happy to come in there. Uh, and and chat on on brain food with uh with you hung i think it's the second time i'm coasting and i think it's the third time i'm attending so uh, it's it's super cool there is it fantastic we have to make it a minimum an annual thing for you nico um Yay. so so folks uh, as we go through let me just make sure everyone can hear us okay i think crowdcast everyone can hear the wind so uh, that means that the, the audio at least is okay for you guys in the sense that you can hear it from a technical point of view that's all well and good uh, we are live streaming multi-streaming it everywhere so this should be going out on linkedin my LinkedIn, it should be going out. Rob Walker's LinkedIn, it should be going out on um, the start company page. Also, if you're watching it, no matter where you're at um, in any of those places and you can hear me okay, uh, do let me know in the comments below. I'm just checking my phone whether it's going live all right. Um, I think it is, uh, and we should be good. So, yeah, just let me know whether the audio is fine. That's important. Uh, Nico's going to mute himself because... Um, can you hear the wind? It's annoying. I go, <laughs> it's I go in. I go in. I can go in. No, no, no. What it is when you're not talking, mute yourself. That probably is the right thing. Um, uh, uh, but that's okay. Um, all right. So I think people can hear me. That's all fine. Thank you, Jan. Um, that's great stuff. Let's um, let's talk about sort of firstly. Let's thank um, our sponsors. As always, folks, we have to thank the sponsors of this show. Brain Food Live is supported every week by a cool, innovative company that is basically saying, you know what, we want this show to continue. I want us to to, to support this uh, this uh, uh, this uh, live stream. Uh, and this week we have our very good friends, um, Stard, coming out of the Netherlands. Um, and why don't I bring on the CEO of Stard? Um, because he's going to come on and, and say hello, uh, give us a few words also. Um, let's see if he's there and appropriately attired in swag. Um, any of these sponsors that come on that are not that are failing to wear the T-shirt, 
I mean, come on, mate. <laughs> Germany. Marketing. Get on this the is case. your opportunity. You need like almost like you know a tattoo or something like to look. I was gonna say branded. like where is the where is the the AI tattoo on on someone's head forehead um, so that you know it's it's like really in your face. Lars is not gonna let us down. There he is. I knew it. Lars will not let anybody down. There he is with a wonderful star delivery. <laughs> By the way, one of the good things about your brand, Lars, is that the font size is huge. Um, and I like that um, because you're not shy about it. It's like in your face. It's not one of these like small fonts and that people got to scrutinize. No, it's right there. Uh, so Lars, listen, great to see you. Um, uh, why don't you quickly introduce yourself um, and start? Like, wh what is it? Uh, who should care about it? What does it do? Yeah, thanks, uh, Hung, uh, for uh, for having me and having us. Um, yeah, I'm uh, Lars. I'm the, the founder and CEO of uh, Start. Yeah, we're the we're the leader in recruitment analytics with a specialization in candidate experience, but also uh, robust functionality when it comes to uh, hiring manager satisfaction and uh, quality of hire. So we we do that for the uh, Fortune 500 and uh, the Future 500, uh, as we like to say. So on the one hand, uh, we work for companies like uh, Diageo, Hilton, Coca-Cola but also uh, for uh, Dropbox, for Twilio, yeah, for the for the big uh, tech companies. Cool. How, how does it work, Lars? You might as well tell us. Um, so basically, I'm a recruiter. I, I, I would want this for uh, how do I deploy it? Um, how does it work sort of if I decide, okay, I'm buying the thing, man? Yeah. yeah. Then uh, as a recruiter with, uh, with most uh, solutions, you have to go to your tech department and ask for resources to do the integration. Well, that's already done. So within five minutes, you're integrated with your greenhouse, your lever, your whatever. Uh, and from that moment onwards, it's yeah, uh, it's it's super easy. Once you hire or most predominantly reject a candidate, after a couple of days, we will uh, we will gather the feedback, uh, and we can show for every recruiter, every department, every hiring manager what they should do differently tomorrow to uh, improve the candidate experience. Yeah, cool. So it's about basically collecting additional information from the candidate side that previously we don't actually collect at all um yeah uh, because we, we process so many candidates we only focus on the people the one person for the that gets the job let's say and even then we don't do a great job there let's say there's 100 candidates in the pipeline what we can do with start is that you we can delegate that uh, information collection from to you guys and you can give us back some reporting and information that we can use to get yeah. better absolutely and why is it important on the one hand uh, when you have great candidates in your pipeline, uh, you don't uh, want uh, them uh, to run away. So uh, therefore, you need a great candidate experience. And in many cases, when your candidate is also your client, yeah, if you uh, if you treat them the wrong way, they won't uh, buy your products in the future. Yeah, very, very important. Very good. Uh, and I think even more so these days, you know, even though the, 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 the issue of shifting to remote has changed in terms of its prominence in the discourse, um, but people moving remotely and doing a more remote kind of experience overall, um, that kind of gives us less visibility as to how they feel about things. You know, if we just rewind back in time, only two, three years or so ago, where every experience was predominantly in person, the recruiter would get a gauge as to how that candidate felt because we've seen them coming through the, the process. Uh, but now it's all Zoomed. It's all like online, et cetera. Like, how do we know? Something like Start, I think, comes into even greater prominence uh, with a more distributed, so stroke flexible uh, kind of workforce, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. And back in the days, as, as a manager, you had all your recruiters in, in one room, so you could also overhear certain conversations. Now you're left in the dark. So, yeah, we say uh, Start is where opinions become uh, data. So uh, it's, it's, it's actually also to help recruiters to show that they're doing a great job also when working remotely. Yeah, yeah, good point. Very good point. Yeah, staying visible with it. Lars, listen, I hear a lot of great things about the product. I mean, that's not not a lie. People do like randomly drop it in and say, yeah, I really like this product. Um, so you're doing great over there. Good luck with what you're doing. Thanks for supporting uh, uh, what we're doing here at Brave Food. Keep staying with us for the rest of the show. It's going to be very exciting. We're going to be speaking to VC recruiters. Um, and, uh, and yeah, look forward to your contributions in the comments and your opinions there, uh, Lars. Um, thanks oh. for joining us, man. What the Someone heck? Is, uh, is muting the lights here, so I think that's uh, that's my cue. <laughs> I tell you what, that's a, that's the most dramatic exit I've ever seen. Uh, it's like literally. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we can still see the logo. 
<laughs> we could still see the logo, and it was very cool. <laughs> I, I tell you, what, the logo is even a curious designer. The logo even is glowing in in dark light. It's yeah, absolutely amazing. Very, very cool. Um, okay, uh, Lars, great to see you. But it's obviously a motion camera. You need to do some exercising if you're sitting down doing like a too long a, a monologue. Uh, <laughs> but great. Okay. No worries. Take care, Lars. See you later, man. See you later. Bye bye. Uh, he's, uh, he's that's very funny good guy i remember being in a situation like this doing brave food lab actually and it was in an office i didn't um i forget the name of the company uh personio i think it was out in barcelona and it was a it was a motion sensor thing it was put me into darkness and i had to get up do a do a couple of jumping jacks to uh, uh to, to reactivate the light um craziness um okay let's quickly review the newsletter um nico before we get through did you read the newsletter from last week if so I what did. was interesting man i did so like uh, i've uh, highlighted uh, three there was a lot of interesting stuff and uh, and it's uh, all the time you make it so difficult when you're like oh you need to choose two or three and you're like yeah but i mean they're kind of like all interesting which i guess is the concept of recruitment brain food but the three that um uh, i highlighted for me that uh, i thought were uh, was super interesting in no specific order. Um, I really liked uh, the the little video about uh, the the Zapier uh, integration, uh, uh, and it's making me rethink the whole. Because I mean, for years we've said like you know all oh, recruiters are going to disappear. Oh, let's kill recruitment and everything, uh, and we won't disappear um, because it's still a business of uh, people talking to people. But that little video made me. Uh, uh, reflect on you know when i worked at uh, at unity or at revolut and we had so many recruitment coordinators and i'm like yeah they are in danger those are the yeah. people that are in danger uh, um so i thought it was super interesting did you, just on that note people should check this out it's a, from a guy called ewan cameron who, who actually is another good uh, friend of brain foods uh a ceo of willow video tech kind of business but he's basically doing a series of how he is personally uh kind of uh automating his own sort of workflow and it's directly applicable uh to uh, uh to what we do in recruiting um, doing stuff like, oh, accessing Zapier's API integration and then a sort of open AI integration and then basically being able to create automated email responses to any applicant coming through and then chaining that to event triggers to hiring managers to review candidates, uh, for instance. Um, and you can imagine if you're a human being sitting in the, in the middle of that, moving things backwards and forwards, that's going to take you a huge amount of work. So, um, so yeah, tremendously interesting. And what I like about what Ewan did there was simply he recorded looms on it. And I understand he's going to do a series of looms on this. Um, so you might just want to follow uh, Ewan on, on that. Ewan Cameron, I've just shared the link in the chat stream. Go ahead and check that out. Uh, really, really interesting. Um, okay. Yeah, I thought that was, um, <clears throat> thought that was yeah, yeah. so easy it as was. well. I mean, like it looked like, boom, look, done. Like a uh, super cool. Uh, the what, what, what number the two? Yeah, go ahead. On on that thing, the magic of that is that he he's using mag, uh, sort of uh, natural language to instruct the thing. Um, so previously with workflow management tools, you need to figure out you know what to do, recipe, etc. He just typed it into the inbox saying, "I want you to send a personalized email uh, to every candidate that applies, and then I want every candidate that responds back to then create this trigger for the hiring manager to then look at the candidate." And I was like, "All right, that was literally written a natural language." Uh, you don't need skills to do this anymore. That's the stuff. Uh, literally. That's the beauty the, of it. No skill required. Brilliant. <laughs> yeah. Okay, no, give me one cool. more. Uh, cool, cool, um, cool. The second one I really liked was the, the Reforge article on the, the fractional uh, uh, C-level. Um, yeah. It's something I've been, so like a few reasons for this. And it's something that, uh, that even us, uh, uh, we've been discussing a lot about the future of work. Is it like, is the future of work going around a little bit like what you see in, in, in football players, you know, like you send them on loan for like six months or 12 months, but they still, they're still owned by a club, but they, they go and learn stuff and then they come back. We were discussing so much this like uh, with, uh, with people in the industry for so long. And what you see here is basically like a, a CTO for hire, like, you know, like fractionally working for some organizations and everything. And it's not consulting and it's not advising. It is they actually have the job with the responsibilities and everything. And then I saw that uh, Dorian, um, uh, Dorian uh, uh, Kendall, who I worked with at Unity, who literally had uh, dinner here in this house uh, uh, with uh, his husband and, uh, and his kids, uh, playing with my kids, was actually in the article. Uh, and I'm not surprised because I don't think it makes you think, but I don't think that is for everyone. I think you need to be a specific type of person with a specific type of skills and everything. And you need to be a specific type of organization that is fine with this and not like, okay, it's everything or I take nothing. It was super interesting.
Yeah, absolutely. Basically, it is fractional workers, folks. Have you heard of this term? Are you a fractional worker yourself? Um, anyway, the uh, Reforge post there has basically created as describing what it is. And it is different from being a freelancer. It is different from being a consultant or an interim. Um, it's basically an individual um, that is kind of working fully in the job, but not all the time. And if you think about certain job roles, they actually might lend themselves more naturally to being a fractional type of position. For instance, a CFO, I think is fundamentally a fractional role because is a CFO sitting in an office anywhere doing 40 hours worth of CFOing uh, for, for a week? Like it depends yeah. when on the stage of a company. You know what I mean? It's, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, Super but the, the, value, the value there for, is the company needs to have a resource on demand uh, therefore, you employ the person, but you don't necessarily need that person being there all the time because there's a lot of stuff that that uh, person's there for domain knowledge, for recommendation, for final decision making on various things. That person probably should be fractional. Um, so, yeah, very, very interesting. Definitely a part of the future of work. Yeah, no, okay. exactly. Uh, I, was, I was super interested. And the last one, super fast. Uh, 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 you can't really, it's impossible not to talk about AI at the moment. It's in our face all the time. And I really much tried not to like, oh, let's bring something on AI and everything because I'm kind of like getting fed up with it. I, like I was getting fed up with uh, NFT and Web3. No, because it's like you just fucking throw it everywhere. It's like, oh, yeah, this, AI, this. And I'm like, um, and as you can imagine in the VC, you like all the time, like, Hey, we do AI. And you're like, well, do you actually do AI or is it just you using again, beautiful branding and everything. But, um, but, uh, the article, um, um, around, uh, we're going to need a bigger moat and, and the whole, like, uh, uh, the, the ex-Google guy, the godfather of AI, you know, beautiful, dramatic words, uh, around like a, we're building Skynet and we're all going to die, uh, um, it's it's obviously the is it the flavor of the month is it the reality it's it's a good article i think and, and it goes super deep into it so i liked it yeah i mean I, I put it down as a must read and it is a little bit outside of our comfort zone because it is directed towards technical people but steve yeager has a, the ability he's an amazing writer i mean he's obviously a very prominent software engineer and a yeah. prominent person in that field but somehow he's been able to be equally prominent in the in the writing space it's not his only a brilliant blog, by the way. He, he fundamentally is a superb writer. Um, but he's written a blog post which basically gives you his opinion, but also gives you a history of where we're, where, so where, how we've got here in terms of AI. Um, and anybody who wants to have a bit of depth uh, to it, I think um, yeah, beyond just the consumer usage of the tooling, if you want to know sort of uh, sort of all of the the technical steps that it's took to get to this to this point and what that actually portends into the future. Uh, this is an accessible, um, very mature and very funny and, and kind of alarming read, but it's kind of done with good humor and, and uh, good language, you know? Yeah, I think we should take his attitude. We should take his attitude. It's like, yeah, it's all, it's all, it's all going to burn. It's okay. <laughs> you know? We're all going to that, die. That's, that's well. <laughs> Fundamentally, that's also the truth, right? So exactly. on that on that note, on that note, let's bring some of our guests on. We'll talk about this topic. Um, let's see. In fact, uh, people should know, um, Nico, we haven't in introduced you right now in terms of the current role you're doing, Dreamcraft. Yeah. You are one of these people. So why don't, whilst I bring on Catherine and Adriana, why don't you tell the audience quickly who you are and what it is you do <clears throat> for these companies and for the VC? Yeah, cool. So uh, my name is uh, Nico Blia Silvestri. You can uh, easily find me on LinkedIn. I'm a partner at uh, Dreamcraft Venture, um, taking care of platform, part of platform. Uh, and we won't go too deep into platform, but platform is basically like uh, uh, everything that is not investing. Basically, that's platform within an investment, within an investment firm. And part of platform, of course, is offering uh, uh, services to your portfolio company. Uh, and some of the services are uh, obviously like people and culture linked. And some of the people and culture uh, would be uh, would be obviously like a recruitment. Right. Um, um, so like what we can do uh, is basically uh, support the portfolio companies in, in their recruitment. Like uh, like what we discussed, uh, Hong and I briefly before jumping into the call is a uh, uh, once a VC makes an investment, uh, uh, almost systematically, it means the organization is going to grow uh, um, uh, rapidly, uh, aggressively, right? Um, and do they have capacity internally uh, uh, to to support that uh, that growth, uh, do, or do they need a um, very 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 smart and and you know obviously uh, uh, amazingly talented people like uh, the people that you're going to talk with today, uh, um, which is us, yay! Um, so that's what uh, yeah, that, that's what we do. 
That's great. Um, and by the way, there's two Adrianas out there, and I've invited them both, so we might get a <laughs> we, we might get a, a, a fifth person joining us. Um, okay, we have Catherine here as well. Uh, let's go with you, Catherine. Uh, who are you? What is you do? Hi, Hank. So um, actually, I prefer to go by Cat. Actually, I'm not quite sure I put Catherine yeah. in the the blurb. Um, so I'm the talent director at Omas Ventures. So Omas Ventures are an early stage tech investor um, based out of Canada but with a global fund and a global team. Um, and we tend to invest in a little bit of seed, it's kind of seed stage company, but primarily series A to C. Great stuff. Wonderful to see you again. How is your foot, by the way? Is, are, are you, are you yeah. better? Yeah, last time, um, so for anyone else, this is not just a way that complex question. Last time I saw Hung, I was on crutches and he saw me trying to get up to a clock tower for dinner on crutches up and down uh, stairs. Much better, thank you. <laughs> good and, to and know, good now. to know. I, you know, there's no need to put ex explainers in context. Just let people gossip. I think that's totally okay. <laughs> um, uh, right, we have the right Adriana here. Uh, Adriana, I'm not even sure how to pronounce your name, but great to see you again. Uh, can you quickly introduce yourself? Who are you? What it is you do? Nice to see you too, Hung, and thank you for having me. Uh, so I'm actually a strategic talent acquisition manager at Cavalry Ventures. Cavalry Ventures is actually investing in pre-seed seed, seed um, uh, software companies. So we are actually with them from very, very early stage <laughs> um, compared to Kat, who is a bit like earlier in the process, yeah. Fantastic stuff. Great to have you on the show, folks. Um, and I'm really pleased to have this conversation. I don't know where it emerged from. It might have emerged from that sort of event that we, we were at, Adriana, where we had loads of people that were working portfolio side. And it was actually really good to see like dozens of recruiters and TA people working in, in, in these types of firms. Uh, and it just shows, I think, that uh, investment companies are, start, uh, are aware now how important it is to get the people side right for their investment, uh, uh, for their, to, to really de-risk their investments and make sure that they're actually going to go in the right place. Um, so it's great that that's emerging. Um, let, let's do some personal stories, though, because I think all of you are probably this is your first job in this type of company, I believe, isn't it? Um, so, so, so what is different between this and a classic in-house role. Um, in fact, why don't we go with you first, Kat, because I believe you might actually uh, very recently have joined Omar, right? So only, what, I six have. months or so ago. Yeah. Uh, so maybe maybe very fresh in your mind. Um, uh, sort of what is different between working on the portfolio side compared to in-house? Yeah, so I think, um, so my role covers slightly more than just talent acquisition, which is really interesting. So, you know, really my brief is figure out how we can find high-performing teams to invest in and figure out how we can grow the companies we've invested in to being high-performing teams. And so there is definitely some overlap with being an operator in one of those companies. You really have to understand what's coming next and you know how to scale an organization to be able to advise. Um, but I think the thing that really makes it different, different is how you can scale your own impact because rather than being in the weeds of one company and seeing one perspective and one way of doing things, you're looking across 50 different companies at once that might be at similar stages but have totally different challenges or companies that have very similar challenges but have approached them in very different ways. Um, so you're being pulled in a lot of different directions. You have a lot of different stakeholders to manage. You don't always have all of the context or all of the information. You're kind of at the liberty of what people will share with you or not, which is down to the level of trust that you've been able to build and the value you've been able to create. Um, and it, you know, it's, it is a very different role to uh, kind of really need to understand a problem, um, have high impact very quickly and then parachute back out again and not getting sucked in to them being reliant on you. I think the, the kind of closest parallel I can draw is that that saying of, you know, give a man a fish and he'll eat for a day, but teach him how to fish, you know, and you feed him for life. It's really figuring out about how do you enable the companies to, um, to kind of solve these problems themselves next time um, use your expertise rather than having to solve the problem yourself uh, and that's actually a big risk isn't it because i can imagine that you know if, if you, you might find encounter a situation where you think oh cry i'll just do it myself uh, but that's like danger <laughs> because if you end up doing it yourself then guess what the next time that problem emerges they're gonna say hey uh, okay, do you remember the last time when you <laughs> filled those three roles? I think you need to do that again. And then, of course, you can't because you're spread across 
uh, you know, uh, like a, a very thin layer of Marmite, aren't you? You know, you spread across the entire portfolio. It's not one company that you have to deal with. So you cannot be operationally involved in the same way as an in-house person. And um, Kat, it's also very interesting you introduced the idea that you also do what seems to be like a bit of deal sourcing, right? So you're also out there spotting and scouting potential in in everyone's nodding here. Is that is that normal <laughs> for, for everyone that does this job? Like everyone is a... Uh, a deal saucer within a VC is that is that correct? I, I don't know if like everyone is, but like if you've been an operator, uh, uh, you're connected in the ecosystem and you will hear stuff. People will come to you. Like now I have people reaching out that, that are like not even in the ecosystem because like, I mean, the, the market has changed as well. So startup, like, uh, you know, it used to be like, hey, we go to you and try to flirt. Now it's the other way around because the market is dog shit for startups. Uh, but uh, but I think what uh, what um, Kat said uh, uh, um, completely right as well, like sure, there's the, there's the pure recruitment side of like, okay, if I need to do it, I will, but I try as much as possible not to only do the recruitment because you're not helping anyone but but very much during the investment process i think we're part uh, uh, i'm assuming um Kat and Adriana, you're part of the investment process. You're part of the analysis. We do the people DD. We deep dive and talk with every founders. We look at people and culture depth. What is set up in the organization? What's not set up in the organization? So that if we actually do the deal, we're ready to kickstart the platform support on like because it's not only recruitment. I mean, it it actually doesn't make sense to only do recruitment. You would not bring as much value as all the other stuff. If that right, makes so sense. That's yeah, yeah, that's actually a really interesting point. Everyone's everyone's nodding their heads here. So, so maybe that's something we could say is a, is a, is a big departure from an in-house role. Is yeah. that actually there's a lot of non-recruitment work that you need to do, even pre-recruitment work, because you, you're assessing the potential of the person, uh, not in a recruiting sense, but whether they're going to get take the company uh, to where exactly. it needs to go. But I think there the are, there is a really strong overlap with that recruitment piece because if you think about the deal sourcing side. You know, the people that you are interviewing or taking references from or you're connecting with as potential future candidates for your portfolio companies may go on to become founders themselves. You know, there's a high potential people. So building those relationships mean that you have a really strong relationship when they start an interesting new venture that you might want to invest in. Um, as well as doing that due diligence piece, which is a bit like in, you know, you're essentially interviewing the founders, um, you know, for this partnership between the investment firm and, and their company. Um, and you're also constantly looking at HR tools, vendors that might be useful for your mm -hmm. portfolio companies. And you're seeing interesting new HR tech out there that you might want to invest in, in a, as a firm as well. So you have this kind of virtuous cycle of both candidates that are potential founders, um, you know, or could introduce mm -hmm. you to other companies through their network companies you're talking to you know as interesting um, vendors to your portfolio and then you know the investment team bringing their own deals that you're doing due diligence on you you, you keep opening doors that you're inviting <laughs> us to go down cat um, and I, i'm like kind of, kind of, kind of I'm trying to control this conversation so it goes down in a feasible way to have in 60 minutes but you, you you've actually said something really interesting which we'll re-explore but adriana you were about to say something before i interjected so what were you about to say there yeah i i wanted to say that also like uh, sometimes part of it is also to just like interview founders before you decide to invest yeah so uh this can also be a very important part of the role um sometimes you know people have their own personalities i guess so uh, it's easy to, you know, also give your opinion in terms of like, you know, is it going to be easy to work with this person? What do you feel like? Because, you know, we have been in recruitment for like ages. So uh, you get, I guess, a better feel in terms of like personality and, and uh, you know, how easy you can work with someone. So that's, uh, that's also something that we usually do. At least I sometimes do that. Not often, but it can happen. Yeah. I think wow. you need to look at uh, an investment process, an easy way, and especially like uh, with the with us being in, in recruitment breakthrough, you very much need to look at an investment process like a recruitment process. It is literally the same. There's shitloads of candidates. There's shitloads of startup. Some are applying, some you're hunting, same process, and then it's a filtering. And then then just like um, just like a... Uh, uh, the perfect candidate doesn't exist because the perfect candidate for me might not be the perfect candidate for you. It's literally the same for a startup. There's a startup that we might work super well with at Dreamcraft that might not work with uh, with the two of you, right? Because of our way of working and everything. So like the, the, the critical part of uh, the talent part of a VC is to assess this. This is who we are as an organization. This is how we work. Are those people going to be the right founders? On top of, do we believe they're going to be good founders? Yeah, yeah, and also, can you work with the person? I guess it, it, maybe this is something that kind of becomes 
more of the case over time. Um, but let's say you you end up being with the the the, uh, the venture capital firm for a long period, and you've seen the growth of several companies and the whole pro process through. Inevitably, your position and your gravitas internally will increase, and people's trust in you will increase. You'll get to a point where actually uh, the investment team might end up sort of leaning a little bit more on you and saying, "Okay, listen, is this is this a go or no?" Um, I mean, I can imagine a scenario. Where you know there is a veto, oh. uh, you know. I'm there not is to say I've ever. There yeah, is a I veto. Mean, yeah, there I is. Mean, there is. There is. I mean, like if they don't trust, if the <laughs> I see the investment <laughs> committee. Like, <laughs> no, but of course, if the investment committee doesn't trust us, the experts yeah. in our field are on red flag here. We would. We All really. Right. I don't. I would not feel comfortable doing this investment because of ABC. You don't call it a veto, but there is a veto. Yeah. Right. Let, let, leave it. Go ahead. You know, I'm not sure it even needs to be a red flag necessarily, like that be too strong. I mean, some of the examples that I've had where, you know, I wouldn't always come out strongly to an investment partner and say, you know, we shouldn't invest. But I'd say, this is my assessment of the founder against you know, these exactly. criteria. And in summary, they're a good leader, but are they an exceptional outlier that is that top, you know, 0.5% that's going to build a multi-billion dollar company? I don't see it. And on that basis, that can be enough to say, we're not going to invest. They might build a good company, but are they going to build an exceptional outlier, no. world-changing company? No. So it doesn't need to be a red flag. It can just sometimes be they're just not. A yellow flag? Company. Would you call it a yellow flag? A yellow flag and a flag. <laughs> you know, I, I think what the audience wants is to hear about more red flags though, Kat. Um, you know, we, 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 we want to hear about those outright vetoes saying, listen, no way, no way. You, you, you put money towards this person, I'm out. You know, that, that, that kind of story. But I think that's, I mean, that's always been a really interesting subject of debate within our firm, at least, which is you look at some of these founders where their behavior, let's say in a personal sense, might be considered red flags. You look at Elon Musk, for example, very controversial character. I'd say, you know, just as many red flags as the Communist Party in, in some <laughs> senses, but you know, he's built <laughs> exceptional companies. And so you kind of look at this and say, sometimes you know what you might consider red flags in would i want to spend time with this person versus is this person you know crazy enough to build a world-changing company it can be very different criteria do you know what that's actually a really interesting segue um because we talk about whether this person has the values etc all these things we're looking for but oftentimes you need an outlier that's outside of that framework in order to, to produce something truly disruptive um, and we can anticipate that may involve a number of personality sort of number of behaviors that also exist outside of normal framework. Um, so, you know, that I guess needs to be factored in somewhat into our, uh, our decision making as uncomfortable it might be for HR folks traditionally uh, to, uh, to, to want to do, um, because I think we do tend to lean towards people that are within the framework of what we think is okay. Um, so, so yeah, that's a, that's a controversial one. Um, so, okay, let's, 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 let's move the, the conversation on, uh, forward just a little bit more. Um, how do you guys get work? Um, like, do you just sit there and wait for the inbound, or, or do you like go to companies and say, "Look, I can see a problem company here. They seem to have bad Glassdoor rating or something, or they that, that CTO position's been open for seven months. What's going on? Uh, how how do you like? How does work come to you? How do I get um, out of work? Is more the question. Yeah, that, that's a good question. Yes, definitely. Um, at least on my end, you know. Um, because we invest so early, I have to be in touch with the founders very often. Um, so I usually set up recurring calls with them every two weeks initially, uh, just to understand, you know, where they are, what are the bottlenecks, what's happening. And yeah, just basically keep an, uh, keep an eye on them with respect to that and try to guide them towards the next steps um, and entangle basically the entire process of, of whatever they're trying to do. Um, and then, of course, like uh, the more mature they become, then I will use this uh, this calls until um, they raise Series A, and then I'm basically uh, off the hook, and then they just reach out um, ad hoc to me whenever they need anything. Okay, so that's a very interesting model, Adriana. So essentially, there is your interaction with this business is based on the mature maturity uh, of the business. 
super immature, yeah. like pre pre Series A. They don't they don't even have a business really. They've got a couple of founders. Maybe they're building something. Yeah. So you've got to support all of that infrastructure in whatever way. Um, uh, but you step away once they have raised some money. Presumably, that's when they're going to go ahead and hire somebody internally to be a full time person for them. So there's a sort of handover exactly. uh, with that uh, with that experience. Is, is that generally how it works, Nico and Kat? Which, uh, so is that the for general me? Fact? It's uh, so th there's some similarities, right? So for me, like uh, um. Uh, the work of platform and i'm going to call it platform more than recruitment because it's it's all the other stuff i think we need to uh, to be uh, using the right words the work of platform like starts pre-investment uh, because it's already part of the you know the dd and you're part of the uh, the investment analysis and everything so you can actually prepare all the stuff you're going to put in place um uh and we do early stage as well right we do pre-seed and seed we can do a bit of say but uh, but then i build a cadence right uh, where uh, where i have like a catch-up with the the leadership team i try to have a catch-up with the leadership team on the on a monthly basis uh, uh and i don't like to call it coaching but like sparring on like okay where are you how do you feel i've been a founders myself right like like you know hunger i had platypus for four years so i've been through that uh, washing machine of uh, hope and despair and I feel great and I hate myself and I hate VCs so I think it's super important to uh, to, to yeah awful uh, I hate them like really um, um but uh, uh, I mean I thought they were vampires before I joined uh, the VC world myself but um but um I think it's super important to have this so like sparring with them look at it as like checking the wellness of the founders right uh, uh, and then what Kat was saying I think it's very much about like okay now that we've invested where are you on your people and culture depth what needs to be built what's your recruitment process what's your onboarding process how do you do performance management what do you have in place internally that's going to again limit the risk of you failing as an organization the challenge I think especially I mean for me is it's not my company so I can't decide it's building some beautiful massage around exactly. i believe Ooh. this is the right thing you should do and if you don't listen to me you're gonna fail but hey it's your company you decide and, and that's the difficulty but build a cadence and then check and support wherever you need to support if how, how about you cat yeah yeah totally yeah. i mean would you say that's a fair general fair characterization like you, you kind of create the structure for the founders so that they you, you know, there's a, there's a weekly or a monthly or a bi-weekly or something like that. Um, or is it more like, okay, I'm just here if you need. Call, here's my number. Call me when you, when you need, need. I mean, I think that can be a risk I'll be on the beach. Be, yeah, there can be a risk to the latter approach. You know, you might need to start turning the phone off at, at some point. Um, I think so. So my approach personally has been, you know, when we have a new company joining the portfolio and you've done that due diligence on where they're at, you have a good idea about that onboarding plan and, you know, essentially, if the investment team have invested, we see it as a very high potential company. And so they essentially get a blank check in terms of time from you um, to set them up on the best path for success. So if you set them up right at the start, then on an ongoing basis, they need, may need less from you um, rather than leaving them to their own devices. And then, you know, as Nico's mentioned, they kind of accumulate tech de people debt by, you know, maybe getting some of the things wrong and you're then trying to undo so i think that onboarding part where you're starting to build trust you're showing advice you're setting them on the right route sets the relationship going forwards um and you know my my goal since we add more companies to the portfolio than we exit companies and therefore you know there's always more companies to work with it's always going to grow you have to figure out how to scale your impact so it's how can i build resources content toolkits or frameworks so that companies can self-serve to a sufficient standard without needing help. So you're there as a point of escalation, you know, more rarely if needed, but it frees up your time then to think more proactively rather than reactively. So rather than waiting for a problem that they've tried to solve, haven't been able to solve, and they're kind of escalating to you, if they can solve their own problems with the resources, you can lean in proactively and say, hey, you should start thinking about this thing. I know you're really busy, but if you don't start doing this now at this stage, I can advise you when you get to 100 people or 150 people, this is going to break or this is going to be a problem. Mm -hmm. I've seen it at these other companies. You can be looking across the portfolio for those types of insights yep. to say, with this business model, with this stage of company, with this way of working, these are the milestone points. And you can start to do these preemptive interventions to keep things on track before a company needs to contact you to say this thing has broken. So it's really about being able to tie together the data points you're seeing across the portfolio, across the external marketplace for CEOs who may not be plugged into people or talent, who've never done this before, who don't mm -hmm. know what's coming up, what the path ahead looks like. We are Gandalf. <laughs> yes. <laughs>
I guess that is a what part of, of our position. Sorry to, to interrupt. It's just no, no, no. to educate a bit, uh, you know, the founders on actually, yeah. you know, what is the process and how, how to scale your, your, your organization in more like a healthier uh, way as well. Um, so I think that's really a huge part of our, of, of our role as well. So I could see yeah. in the chat there are a few questions. I think yeah. they're about kind of the difference between later stage and earlier stage um, and examples of that. So, you know, if you're a later stage company, Series D, Series E, we have some of those in our portfolio, like kind of WeFox, DuckDuckGo, like really big companies. They have established people teams, yeah. chief people officers. They've done this multiple exactly. times before. So what they need from us might be the odd leadership candidate introduction, you know, it might be um, very specific advice or reference on, hey, has anyone used this tool before? Use this exec search firm. But they don't need the kind of guidance that a CEO who is in a Series A company who's never had to build a performance framework, who doesn't have to level people in the company or how to set compensation. You're really going to have to walk them through and say, you know, I know you think that at the moment it's great because everyone fits in one room and so you don't need to give anyone feedback and you don't need to think about performance plans because you just know who your top performers are. You just instinctively know it. But you need to start codifying these things and defining what high performance looks like in your organization and lay that down and codify it. You can't keep it in your head because by the time it breaks and people start grumbling about their career development or you know, their performance process being an opaque black box where they don't know why they're paid what they're paid or why they're not being promoted. By the time you've, you've got that grumbling in the organization, it's an uphill battle to fix it. So, you know, start putting these things in place. And so you're walking them through why do they need these things as well as how to do them. Yeah. Very, very good. Folks, um, just to address some of the questions coming through, um, none of this is being charged for. These guys do things for free because they're. Just I mean, you need to say some VCs. Beings, hung, some um, VCs charge. Some VCs charge. No, yeah, I'm not even kidding. Charge, some yeah. VCs, yeah, yeah, some some VCs, VCs charge whatever service they get from platform. We're not okay. going to say who because that's not nice to throw stones at people, but some VCs charge so like anyone that's yeah. a founder of thinking i think this is something that uh, that they very much should check before you take a vc you're getting married with somebody you need to ask all those questions oh, it's critical okay let, let's, let's, just re let's just reframe this uh because i want to i think there's confusion in the audience basically the the free folks that are on screen here are employees of the vc so they, yeah, exactly. they've been employed by this vc in order to be useful to the investment portfolio that they then supply into. Uh, now, there may be some sort of quasi internal charging structure, as you mentioned, uh, Nico, that's something you need to read on the T's and C's of you signing in. Uh, if you decide to take the money, uh, how does that charging work? Uh, but mm -hmm. you can also understand why that might exist because you wanna not have the, and we'll, we'll talk about this in a moment, but you don't wanna have the uh, internal resources of the VC being kind of su uh, substituted in for processes that the company need to grow themselves. I, I, I don't um, agree. I don't agree. I think I think charging right. for like charging for that service when you literally gave money to those people to build the company and be like, hey, actually, I'm going to take back some of that money, makes absolutely no business sense, none whatsoever. Okay, uh, well, um, let's debate about that later. But we no, that's not a debate. This is set. That's it. I need to stop this conversation here because we are charging through this conversation, folks. Um, and we, we want to make sure that this conversation continues, even though Brain Food does have to come off air in about 20 minutes. Uh, friends, Brain Food Live is a conversation starter. That's the mission of these uh, weekly uh, conversations. Um, it should never be a place where it's a bottleneck ourselves and, you know, we have to come off air so the thing stops. Uh, now is the time basically to make sure that if you want to continue this conversation, you go ahead and do it with everyone else as part of the show. Uh, so everyone who's watching here, why don't you take a moment, grab your LinkedIn URL and share it into the chat stream uh, and then connect with everyone who has done likewise. Um, if you're watching this on LinkedIn or Facebook or Twitter or wherever the hell I'm broadcasting this out, uh, why don't you do the same thing onto the comment thread there and make sure you connect with everyone there also. Uh, worst case scenario is everyone walks away with uh, you know, two dozen contacts uh, that care about this particular pro uh, topic. Um, and please do continue this conversation um, afterward. Um, also, 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 bunch of questions coming in into the chat. You're welcome to put them in there, but there's a high risk that we might miss them simply because the chat stream kind of flies through. Uh, feel free to use the ask question feature at the bottom of the screen. We're going to get to those at the end of the show. 
Um, okay, what's the most common uh, request? One thing you can say, like common requests, like you, re repetitive, that like you can predict. The most common one is which executive search firm should we use for X? Or, you know, can you recommend exec search firm or, you know, can we get a reference? It's always kind of exec search firms. And I think, you know, that's obviously um, for startups, it's a huge amount of money. It's a really big deal for them. It's a big gamble, you know, the partner they're going to use to find, you know, their, their next leadership hire, particularly when you've got a CEO who may be, handing over the reins to somebody else and bringing another leader into the company for the first time um, they don't do it very often and so i think it's something they do a lot of due diligence on and want to check with several people um, i think there's also very mixed quality potentially in the space with exec search partners um, and so I, that's one i get constantly um, is who should we use for this search a lot of people nodding here that's very interesting i didn't anticipate that um, but i guess as you say uh, can't not only is it expensive but it's obviously possibly you know it's also pro pro problematic i would imagine at some point yeah. where you know maybe you need to replace an incumbent or perhaps as all you've carried a missing uh, a resource at that senior level you need to get it right um so yeah they're gonna lean on some support there adriana i think you were about to say something was that right um yeah, I think on my end, I was thinking, I guess, agency related questions, uh, definitely you get that. But what I, what I see as a trend uh, in pre-seed stage is that they don't really, or maybe they never really had exposure to hiring and understanding talent. And then they just come and ask you a lot, should I hire Google or Amazon people? Oh, and, you're like, <laughs> and you're like, and you're like, <laughs> Maybe not not that one. Not not at that stage. Maybe it's not necessarily oh, yeah. the, the, the the right uh, the right hire. Nor you're in the right stage to afford to hire someone from there. So uh, this is a very common one that I I usually you're get. spot on. Yeah, spot on. Oh wow, we found this great candidate that worked at Facebook. I'm like, oh no, no. You're yeah. like, please don't. Yeah. But I think uh, the worst thing is when it's not posed as a question. They're not coming to you with a question. They're just like, we're really excited yeah. about this person we found, and you're like, oh no. Yeah. <laughs> Gonna That's not going to happen. Then it's like, again, like, okay, how do I diplomatically tell you that you're completely wrong? Um, I think for me, it's a lot. Uh, so the, the executive search. to choose, right? I guess there's, there's yeah. too many. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The executive search for me, like my, my, I can help, but my argument always, I tell them, is like, okay, how many people are you actually hiring this year? Because does it make more sense for you to start hiring your first in-house? Right, uh, and then I can help you in 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 finding the, the right in house and everything. Um, a lot, a lot, a lot at the moment. It's uh, uh, it's it's kind of like a like super helicopter view of like how do I build an employee life cycle from like from my employer branding to my recruitment process to my onboarding to my offboarding. Like because a lot of the of the founders. Uh, they are inexperienced, like like you said, right? They they like uh, they like Jon Snow. They know nothing, um, and uh, it's uh, it's really about holding yeah. hand and explaining. And and when they've never experienced or never done recruitment, it's it's super super important to to train them uh, uh, on what good looks like. What's a good candidate experience? Don't be wowed by like you just said by like a, a weird title in big companies and everything. Don't don't yeah, it's. Um, yeah, it's it's a lot of fun. It's 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 an, like genuinely an amazing job because we get to work on so many different things with so many different people, so many different industries, so many different locations. It's very cool. Um, it's it's naturally distributed, isn't it? Uh, like this role is uh, a lot of recruiters, in-house recruiters, have had to shift to remote, having worked you know previously in a building. Um, would it be fair to say that? For portfolio recruiters, so given the fact that all of the, the companies are going to be spread around, um, it, it, you've got to basically have, get used to a digital first comms. You've always had to do that. There isn't a scenario yeah. where you could rely on proximity taking care of relationship building, let's say. Um, like I think a lot of relationship building back in the single office days, we didn't need to think about it because we're going to turn up every day. Um, and, you know, simply we're going to have the opportunity to, to rub shoulders with everybody because we're, we're all there. But portfolio recruiter in inevitably is going to be more distant from the, the companies that you're going to be working with. So you need to, I guess, in, intuitively, or you, you need to be good at the digital communication side and the relationship building side from remote. Kat's going to disagree. So go ahead. 
uh, and discreet cat. <laughs> <laughs> There's a yes but. So yes, we do There's have a yes but. really strong <laughs> digital communication. But um, I still think there is no parallel, given that you are a little bit at the mercy of the information that company chooses to share. And you know, they won't always want to give the full picture of maybe all of the problems to the investors. They want to paint a picture that everything's great, your investment's going well, don't worry. And so sometimes there are cues that you can pick up on when you actually go to the team's office and you spend time in their office, you get a better sense of the culture and what is or isn't working, yes. what the the morale and kind of feel of it is. And you're not just relying on a touch point of that company telling yeah. you, we think this is our problem or, you know, it's like you, you get a, a very different sense when you go and spend time in person and it does wonders for the relationship as well. And I think if you can pick up on those cues and help them address some of those things, they're then more willing to share things digitally going forward. Mm -hmm. uh, but you do something. Let, let me just underline that point. Kat mentioned very, very important. The relationship that the company has with the investor is not necessarily um, always that transparent simply because there's a there's a pressure coming down. There's a sense we've got to keep the investors happy. Um, there's there's a threat, uh, you know, the, because there's a hierarchy there. There's no question all of that's true. Therefore, as a person that's working for the investor, you may need to overcome some of those suspicions in, in, in the first instance. Um, and it's almost like having an internal consultant, let's say everyone's on their best behavior, uh, you know, because McKinsey are walking around the office. Um, but you, you, cause you've got to try and present to the, the right image so you, you don't get fired or something. Um, so it can be particularly tricky as well when, for example, if the founder or the leadership team have presented something at a board meeting and that's raised concern and an investor in the board meeting has asked you to lean in more closely to a company, but they might have an in-house people team or an in-house recruitment team who think they're doing a good job and might not want someone else parachuted in from an investor to start poking around. And you have to be very careful of the sensitivities. There are different stakeholders to manage. Yes, there's leadership at that company, but there may also be in-house teams at that company that you need to work with and they need to feel that you're a partnership and you're on the same side and not that they've been kind of snitched on <laughs> at the board meeting and they're in trouble. They're gonna There's hate a very you, fine they? line they're gonna, between they're gonna the... hate. No, I think inevitably they're gonna have, have an adversarial position because you know they're gonna think no this guy no um, no 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 i think i think so like like if we go back uh, what cat is saying is completely right you cannot beat facetime you will never beat facetime it's super important especially when it's like you've just done the 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 investment to go and spend time i'm going to uh we just did a, a deal in amsterdam i'm going for two days in amsterdam to spend time with the team and everything it's critical you build that rapport and everything right and then i, I try genuinely to go and, and spend time with uh with them as much as possible I, I, you cannot and then about like uh, the adversary absolutely not it's our responsibility as well to build the right relationship with the stakeholders internally and specifically with the pnc people if they have pnc people right um but it's my responsibility as well to highlight to the CEO or the founding team if I think the person is shit. It's important. Mm. Because at the end of the day, our job is what is the best for the organization and what can we do to make this organization successful? And sometimes yeah. I even have to tell the CEO, you're shit right now and you need to change because otherwise you're going to kill your company. Uh, you know, I, I, I did join a VC during COVID time. So in my first two years in the, in the role, I didn't have the chance to actually meet anyone face to face. And, you know, it worked out quite, quite well. And I must say that, you know, if you build a relationship with uh, the founders, a good one, they will tell you also sometimes when things don't go well um they're very open to you uh, compared to potentially you know giving the same information in the board meeting or whatever so they're, they're much much more open to you so i think you can also build a relationship uh, digitally especially like if you're a vc investing in so many different countries you know we're also applying esg we're trying to travel the least as possible i mean it's uh let's let's not not travel as much anymore right um, so, you know, there's like multiple criteria that we take into consideration. We do organize, you know, a founder summit for the founders um, every year. We do have a portfolio day for everyone to meet in person as well. And then we meet with the, with the companies that, you know, are based in Berlin more often and with the other ones, like maybe once in a while. But I personally don't really meet the ones that are outside Berlin as much. So the relationship is still quite good on my end. 
Yeah, and in, inevitably we have to accept that there's going to be variants of relationship throughout the portfolio, right? I mean, there's a proximity yeah. thing. Uh, there's also a requirement whether they need you, you need them. Uh, we talked about whether they're super mature or may ha already have a very strong existing team, for instance. So uh, we, we shouldn't necessarily approach it as if everyone needs to have the standardized same experience we have to moderate that according to the needs of that particular organization yeah. there was a comment and we've got questions in a second there was a comment earlier in the thread that i spotted and i don't know who mentioned it but i thought it was really interesting about the level of seniority that you need to be in order to play the role of a portfolio recruiter in vc uh, particularly given some of the responsibilities that you've been having like dealing with sea level um uh, uh auditing or at least analyzing the performance of other recruitment teams would it be fair to say that basically you can't be a junior person doing this role um or if you were doing it as a junior person then essentially it's going to be like more or less just deployed as a recruiter a normal recruiter for a surge bit of hiring or whatnot i mean look i'm 27 right <laughs> sorry uh <laughs> No, I'm 43, uh, and I think the the the, the background, like uh, uh, I was an operator at uh, at Unity, at Trustpilot, at Revolut, Chief Football Officer at Revolut. So, so I think for the level that we have, the, the three of us, you need to have seen a lot of shit. You've experienced growth. You've been through an operator in those companies that have grown because yeah. you've you've seen the circus, and therefore, if you've seen the circus, you can highlight the circus, right? Because you've seen. I think a, a junior recruiter, then it would be a very very specific part of like, okay, you we're gonna use you as an internal head basically and, and that's it and then maybe you can learn more but i would strongly suggest that you need to build experience as an operator in in a company not as a headhunter that's my my um and then yeah. more than just recruitment yeah that's i agree my, with you nico my, i think yeah, my point of view <coughs> i think you definitely need to have some experience in-house i mean i also uh, you know have been with um, five different companies companies all different uh, stage different challenges and that's where you also like kind of see the uh, you know mistakes or whatever is burning at a different stage and just trying to advise the founders not to you know go through that as much as possible um but i i would say you need to have exposure it's not necessarily about years of experience but rather exposure to different yes. uh, environments and different uh, type of companies at different stage is my opinion uh you're muted cat have I done that? At some point, you get through a video, like a video call with a, without like you're on mute. I thought we passed that post COVID. Um, sorry, I, don't know. I was just saying I, I completely agree. I think it's less about years of experience. I think anyone who's worked in a startup knows it can be like dog years, where like one year can feel like seven years, and it very much depends on the stages of growth that company has gone through. So, I would look at it more as almost like a bingo card if you were to curate if you if you had a goal of doing this kind of role there's like a bingo card you might want to tick off of have i seen internationalization yeah. have i seen you know headcount reduction have i seen rapid headcount growth where you've needed to you know double the size of, of the teams have i seen you know seed series a series b have i seen what's needed at those different stages of company growth but you know if you know that you're really excited by early stage and building and you just want to focus on pre-seed or seed there are funds, you know, that just work with that area and therefore you don't need experience of seeing companies reaching a thousand people in, in headcount if that's not the kind of VC firm you want to work for. But mm -hmm. if you're looking at a broader firm, then, you know, I think it's worth just mapping out what are those milestones in company growth and making sure you've seen them a couple of times, not just I've done this one thing once and I survived it and therefore that's enough to tell someone else how to do it. I think you need to have lived it and relived it and learned from it and figured out where you've gone wrong the first time that you did it so that you could advise someone else um you know the next time around and, and therefore all this is super important because then when you talk with the founders and everything first of all you have you have credibility because they they see yeah. your uh, i mean that's it like but but something that uh, I, a, a sentence i use a lot when they're like okay but what should we do now like that's the problem i often tell them like look i i might not have the perfect solution because they might not be, but I've seen a lot of the stuff we shouldn't do. And that's already helping them a lot because I failed a lot in, in, in a lot of companies uh, and I've been successful as well in lots of companies, but you cannot have the perfect answer because every startup is going to be different, different founder, different everything. Right. But, but it's, it's super, super, I think Kat, you're spot on, like having it done only once a hyper growth, it's, it's not going to be enough because you only learn one recipe. Right. Um, yeah, but it's a great job. Yeah. Um, <laughs> 
Okay, let's go to the questions real quick, folks. Uh, we've got eight of them. We have to just blast through them, so we won't be able to go around. Uh, I'll just nominate a person to do the answering, okay? Um, so let's go here. We've got Jean-Joseph. Uh, we're saying, okay, what transferable skills from agency recruiter already working with the startup? Um, uh, what is the ideal background skills, HR recruiting? Okay, what is, I think what, what Jean-Joseph is saying, what is the ideal background uh, for a person doing a portfolio recruiter role? We've kind of already talked about that. It's someone who's already worked in a startup or worked in several startups and seen it through that journey. So um, I hope that's going to be a satisfactory answer, Jean-Joseph. Uh, let's go for Ben Blundell. He's saying, do you have preferred staffing vendors uh, who provide to the fund or, or do you provide a fund for the list of vendors to use? Kat, why don't you answer this? Do you have like a pet agency? Uh, <laughs> tell us pet about that. Agency, yeah, pet agency is a bit strong. I'd say what we have, um, I have... Uh, you know, a directory that I would point people towards of, you know, these are the exact search firms for these types of roles in these types of locations. You know, um, there are definitely HR tech vendors that when we really like something, we see it can add value. You know, we want to save our, our, you know, our companies the time of going and doing the same research like 50 times over and coming up with the same answer. So, you know, we tend to say, this is a company we really recommend. Here's the pros and cons of this. We try to avoid giving a single option um you know unless there is like a clear industry winner i'm going to try to avoid naming any names here but Probably sometimes could. there is one that's a standout that you might this say guys where, if you're not this using this is where i've got mute nito, nico in advance give me a sec let me just put him on mute <laughs> there we go uh right yeah continue cat go ahead you, you, you know you you'll try and give a couple of options to your companies and summarize you know, this is what it would be good for and this is what it's not good for. So that at the end of the day, they're making their own decisions on which vendors they use, but you can save them the research and the legwork and you can you know, reference these companies, you can reference staffing partners or tools to make sure that you know you use your network to help out a company that might not have any, anyone else that yeah. who's used it before. Cool, cool. And he's, Ben's asked the second question, which is obviously he's led me into the trap. How do I get on that list, Kat? How does he do that? Um, <laughs> is it, is it uh, you know? Brown envelope time. Like, how how did you get there? Well, so I think I've, I've shared my LinkedIn in the chat. I'm always keen to to chat with people and demo, but I'm a very tough customer, you know. So, um, be be prepared. Happy to demo. Always keen to to you know talk to companies that really think that, that they could do something great for our portfolio. So connect with me on LinkedIn. They, we can take they, there you go, Ben. Make sure your ego is in a sort of a, a, a lockup in storage, and then get in contact with Cat. Okay. Um, okay. What kind of background? We've answered that. Uh, da, da. If you're a recruitment agency, a best way to approach VC portfolio again, just connect with people and say, "Hey, we do this," and, and then you know, chance your arm. It's totally, totally okay. Um, okay, we've got Caleb. He's saying, as a portfolio recruiter, what are some unique challenges you face in employer branding when dealing with multiple brands? That's a huge question. We have to go real quick let's go to you adriana for this one any thoughts on answering this uh okay so most of my, my companies don't really have an employer brand yet uh, not even close to that i guess so it's just rather you know doing ba basics on start working on it and just like educating them on the importance of actually building an employer brand so um that's on my end i guess it's a bit different for cat for like a bit of a later stage no, I think that's totally okay. It also okay. tells you a little bit about the portfolio responsibility. Probably isn't to build an independent yeah. employer brand for these companies. Uh, you've simply got to give them some guidance as to how they may be able yes. to express that brand or express their culture as a as a business because they're obviously all independent uh, independent organizations out there. Uh, okay, let's leave with the final two questions. Um, uh, and this will go all the way around. Um, so what is the, what's the hard part about the job, guys? Like, what's one thing where you think, God damn, this portfolio stuff, <laughs> you know, this is tough. Um, Nico, uh, very quickly, we'll go around, but let's go with you to start off with. And so like, again, like I said, it, I think it's the third time. I really love the job. I'm really enjoying it because I can feel that I used the last 10 years of experience of startup and everything. So I'm, I'm truly enjoying it. I think that the part that's uh, we've had, uh, uh, it's been, it's a tough market. We know this. And then we've had to uh, help founders close their company. Uh, that's obviously shit. It's, it's, it's really rough. Right. Uh, uh, and then you turn uh, like, I'm, I'm trying to build something around like uh, supporting the founder on the wellness and the, because you're losing your dream as a founder, I've closed my company. It's a nightmare, and 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 uh, so how to make sure that uh, that they're okay with this? Basically, it's it's as much emotional support as as logistic support on closing the business. 
Yeah, really good answer. Basically, it's an inevitable part of working for portfolio. There's going to be a load of companies that don't make it or they have eight to make big changes. Yeah, eight out of 10. Okay, so you then basically need to be, be uh, to be part of that is emotionally difficult, but it's got mm -hmm. to be part of that journey. Okay, uh, how about you, Kat? What's, what's one thing that's bad about this? Oh, it's hard to pick a bad thing. Similar to Nico, like I, I love this job. I wish I knew. I wish I knew before this was a job I could do. You know, it's, it, it is a, it feels like a privilege to be able to, to you know, work with some of these exceptional companies. I think the hard thing is maybe staying impartial and not getting sucked in. I think it's very easy to almost end up with favourites. And I think someone made the point earlier of how do you stay impartial? And you know, when you've got candidates, for example, you might have four companies in your portfolio all looking for a VP of marketing and, you know, one great VP marketing person. And you're like, mm, do I have a favorite company that, you know, give first dibs to this? You have to stay impartial, you know. There might be a company doing something really unsexy in managing shipping container um, timings, for example, and they built some SaaS for that. Maybe it doesn't personally excite you compared to something else that you personally use, but you have to stay impartial across the companies and look at, how do you give all these companies the best chance of success and what's going to be best for the organization and best for the firm ultimately? Um, so it can just be hard to remove yourself a little bit from, from Yeah, and that's, that's a big part of that challenge of staying elevated above the, the operational stuff because you can get deeply involved in the wrong way. Uh, okay, Adriana, how about you? What's the one thing that is actually not great about being a portfolio recruiter? We're not talking specifically about your jobs here, yes. by the way, folks. It's like it's the nature of the job. Yeah. So I think when you transition to this position, you just have to get used with the idea that you don't do the work, you're not hands-on anymore, which can be tough in your first couple of months in this position, as you have to learn to guide them and, you know, the decision is no longer in your hand, they have to build their own company. But I mean, other than that, it's really cool because you kind of like have the chance to be part of the entire development journey of the company, which is challenging, but in the same time can be super rewarding to see that they actually succeed. So um, it's uh, it's cool. I recommend everyone to to apply for for a job like ours. <laughs> there we go. Well, that's fantastic. We have to close the conversation here. I think we could continue to go on, but I'm really pleased to have had this conversation. I think it's the first time uh, in Brain Food Live where we've actually focused on this topic. I'd love to do another one about this because there's lo lots more to talk about, I feel. Um, so um, I hope you've enjoyed it. We're over time though, folks. So we've got to say goodbye to our wonderful guests. Uh, Adriana, wonderful to see you. Uh, was, I'll be, I'm, I'm in Berlin, by the me. way, um, uh, in, in next month. So we'll have to catch up. Um, and Kat, great to see you as well. I hope you have a very good weekend. Uh, Nico, wonderful to see you also. Good to see you. Um, I'll say goodbye to everyone here. Uh, thanks for joining. Um, so, uh, yeah, I think that's it. Um, enjoy your weekend, Nico. You too. See you later, Thank man. You. Ciao. Okay, that's it, folks. We're out. I hope you've enjoyed the show. Um, if you have enjoyed this type of conversation, you can do a number of things. You can follow the channel on Crowdcast. That's basically where we do the, the, the hosting live stream. You can follow my personal LinkedIn profile if you're watching it here. Um, and that's also uh, where we broadcast uh, the show. Um, next week, we're going to be back with a must attend. Uh, it is how Google AI search is going to change recruitment marketing. Um, recruitment marketing, I don't think people are aware of this. Google AI search, their new way of doing it, is going to dominate the on-screen real estate with generated content. Uh, so think about what Google has traditionally done throughout its entire lifespan is to retrieve content and present you a list of blue links. Google AI search is not going to do that anymore, or at least it's not going to be above the fold. What it's going to be is going to be generated content first. What is that going to do for SEO? What is that going to do for web traffic? What is that going to do for recruitment advertising? What is it going to do for employer brand? It's going to be huge. You have to attend this, folks, if you're in the game of recruiting, particularly if you're doing recruitment marketing or employer branding. Make sure you register for next week. Uh, it's already up there. 350 people already signed up. Okay, that's about it. Hope you've enjoyed it. I'll see you next week.